So I've really been looking forward to recording this episode because today we're going to talk about documenting heroes and history. It's 39 to 45, the World War II Portraits Project on Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, your host. And as always, this is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between. And I am so excited for today's show. Before I bring the guest in, just a reminder that you can find all the information about this show, the past episodes and information on this show. There'll be a blog post for this show at the website. It's behindtheshot.tv, not.com behindtheshot.tv. You can also find us on YouTube. And if you are a podcast watcher or listener, wherever you get your podcasts, you can get Behind the Shot. And in fact, there are two versions of Behind the Shot. There's an audio only version, or if your app or wherever you get your podcasts does support video, there is a separate Behind the Shot video feed. So subscribe to the one that you want. I personally think the video one works really well because we're talking about photography. Another reminder for you, I'm doing the shows now with my buddy Don Komarechka of Photo Geek Weekly, Photo Critiques, and we are doing those through the Flickr group for Behind the Shot. So if you head over to Flickr and you join Flickr, you can do the free account, and you join the Behind the Shot group, you can submit images to that group and possibly get yourself into the critique shows. There's two things that have to happen. One, you have to submit your image to the Behind the Shot group on Flickr. And two, you need to use the Flickr tag, BTS Critique. It's all one word, BTS Critique. And that will get you into the pool of images that we pick from for the critique shows. We're doing those right now about once a month, and we're uh, hoping to get those a little more often. And in fact, the February show this one will air before that, I think. The February show might be the first show that we start live streaming. So that'll be a lot of fun. And that brings us to today's guest. I want to welcome Glenn Dewis to Behind the Shot. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Steve. How are you? I'm really good. It is so nice to meet you. I, I've had the pleasure of knowing about you for a long time. And at Photoshop World, actually in Vegas this year, there was a moment that I walked by and I saw you sitting in that rotunda where the motorcycle was. Oh, right. And I, and I went, oh, my God. That's Glenn Dewis. I got to go. He's say not I, as tall in real life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. He he looks like himself is what I thought. Uh, you are based in the UK, yes, so near yep. Oxford, right? That's right. Yeah, we're currently just outside of Oxford, uh, I guess, which is about an hour away from London. Um, but as we were saying before we started recording, we're moving soon. We're going to be moving down to the South Coast. So a lot of stuff going on at the moment, Steve. Which is awesome. And, and it's one of the areas of the world I love. I love London. We go there periodically to see, I was telling you in the green room, a friend of mine, Christy Goodwin. If you don't know Christy Goodwin, by the way, go look up her work. She's the house photographer for Royal Albert Hall. And trust me, you will love her work, people. You'll love it. So Glenn, you are, it's funny because I, I was actually about to say, and it came in my head and I went, no, don't say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. You remind me of me. For so many reasons, <laughs> there okay. is, you are a photographer, you are a podcaster, and you are a YouTube person. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot in common. There is you something do. else you do, though, that I just don't envision ever happening for me. You are a Kelby One and Photoshop World instructor extraordinaire. You're part of that dream team of, of Photoshop World instructors. Do you, do you prefer out doing the work or do you really, I get the sense you really love the education side. 
I, I do love the education and I think it's just something that I've I've always done. Um, even way before I started getting involved in photography, I've just kind of really enjoyed sharing stuff. It's um, it, And it wasn't something that I kind of made a conscious effort to do. It just came natural to kind of share stuff. It's, uh, but I do, I get a real kick out of it. I mean, it's the kind of reactions that you get. When you can take somebody who doesn't know a particular thing and then moments later they're getting it, that's the kind of thing that money literally can't buy. It's that reaction. It's just fantastic. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I love the education side myself. It's why I like doing this. It's why I like doing photo presentations is because there is that moment. And and I teach other things. I, I help teach karate and stuff. And there, there are those moments when you see somebody out there and you can tell that they're not getting it. Mm. And that switch hits that bulb hits. And that's super, super rewarding. You're, you're also an author, which I find fascinating. Uh, you've got three books, Photoshop yes, workbook, yeah. Photoshop toolbox, and photograph like a thief, which I just got to tell you, what an awesome title. <laughs> I can't take credit for it. I, the, the whole concept of the book I can take the credit for, but it was actually a guy called Ted Waite, who's from, uh, from Rocky Nook, the publishers, when we were having a bit of a conference first, kind of when I was almost doing like a pitch for the idea for the book. And I kind of said, it's almost like stealing ideas to get to get inspiration and kind of moving on from there. And he says, kind of like photographing like a thief. I went, Ted, that is it. That is the title. And he was like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. And kind of went with that. So, yeah. And you, I'll bet you most book titles come about the exact same way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. You are also an Adobe Max master. Mm-hmm. And I need to look this up. And I, I actually tried and I couldn't find it. I wonder if it's not up anymore because I know that the New York Times used to have a photography blog that they did or a creative, you know, artistic type blog that they did. Yeah. And I think they've pulled it down. But you were in the New York Times which, with, with a feature called The Invisible Black Background. That's and I right, am, yeah dying to read that article because it just the title alone sounds it's, fascinating uh, to me do you I, know I, if that is anywhere do you know i've actually done the i've tried to find it myself steve because quite a that's quite a while ago now i, I won't even hazard uh, hazard a guess as to how long ago that was but because it's scary how quick time's going by it seems to be the quicker it goes as, as i'm getting older but it's got to be a good eight years ago maybe i'm guessing so wow. yeah see i think that blog they pulled down yeah and i'm bummed because I'm, I'm dying to read that the other thing that you do that I mentioned was podcasting mm-hmm. and you have what at least from the outside appears to me to be one of the most popular photography and design based podcasts. And I'm going to stay with the photography world because that's, that's my world that there is out there today. He shoots, he draws mm-hmm. and you do that with your buddy, Dave Clayton. Yeah, yeah. Explain to people that don't know he shoots, he draws Give the helicopter view of what is that? Uh, well, I'll be honest with you. He shoots, he draws is an excuse for me and Dave to talk more often. Uh, but it's co- it's so called. I mean, again, I won't take credit for the name of it. Dave came up with the name. It's called He Shoots, He Draws because, well, I'm a photographer, so it's the he shoots, he draws, he's the uh, designer. And also Dave being a football fan, certainly in the UK, we have a kind of thing when somebody's in playing football, they go, he shoots, he scores. So it's play. It's a bit of a play on that kind of name. Um, but before we started doing the podcast, all the time that Dave and me have known each other, and certainly when we travel together, we almost every evening we have this kind of session where we just, I won't say moan, but we just kind of, we can be really honest with each other. And we we talk and talk and talk and we laugh so much. 
And we just, one day we just sort of said, we should record this, if anything, just so that we've got a, a back catalogue of stuff that we can listen to ourselves because uh, we just find it funny. And it turns out that people seem to enjoy these constructive moans, I'll say. Uh, but it's kind of developed. We get, you know, interviews in there. We try not to kind of um, ask people what their favourite F-stop is and that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's great fun. It really is great fun. But I can't believe it's been over two years we've been doing that now. That's just crazy. Well, and the first episode, it wasn't the first episode you had, but when I was first introduced to the show, I went looking through the catalog and Alan Hess is a friend of mine. Yes. Just saw him, in fact, at NAM last week. And I went and listened to the first time he was on and then immediately jumped to the second time that Alan was on. And just those two interviews alone got me hooked and starting start listening to back catalog and new ones as they come out. Um, and I was actually privileged and honored enough to be on the show. I was episode what uh, number 93, if anybody wants to go look it up. Uh, it's not as good as the other episodes, but I had a lot of fun <laughs> with Dave. Uh, and again, a lot of laughing, a lot of it before we started the recording. Yeah, yeah. But just had an absolute blast. So let's get into the main reason that I see you here today, which is your your amazing photography work. That's what leads to all those other things. That's what leads to the personal projects. And that's what leads to the education side. And, and the podcasting is the fact that deep down, you're an amazing photographer. So I want to get a couple of the baseline things out. What is your go-to camera body and lens? If you could be on a desert island with one lens and one body, what would it be? Okay, I'm. Uh, I guess what I'm currently using because I've got. I am very. Uh, I'm very much somebody who'll only use what's fit for purpose. I won't chop and change just because something else is being pushed my way. But I, I absolutely love the Sony A7R2, and you know we're talking a camera now that's you know a, a couple of generations old now. Yeah. Um, but I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving that camera. I will move at some point, but it, it's giving me everything I want at the moment. So the Sony A7R2, and over the last, I guess, year to 18 months, I changed with my lenses. used to be uh, somebody who would use the zoom lens, but now I'm, I am primarily a prime lens user. And my go-to, it depends what I'm doing, Steve. There's two particular lenses that I use. I use a 55 mil. I would probably say 75% of the time. Okay. And then I use an 80 mil. Sorry, eighty-five mil. Um, the rest of the time, um, so both both portrait lens lenses, both, though, hands yeah, down. both portraits lenses, and I just lo I love the prime lenses because one thing I used to find before was when I was using a zoom, I became quite lazy in that I would kind of stay in one position, go in, go out, and that was it. Whereas, unlike the pictures we're going to talk about now, because I am kind of locked down into one kind of place, but ordinarily when I've got my camera and that fifty-five mil on, it makes me move around a bit. So my legs and my zoom and I can find I get some pictures that I maybe wouldn't have got had I been sitting still. So interesting. See, I know a lot of people who switch to zooms, uh, to, to primes and mm. love it. There's the sharpness, you know, yeah. advantage too. arguably nowadays, a lot of the zooms are pretty darn sharp, but there's nothing like, like a prime portrait lens. When mm. you go on a job site, whatever that job site is, it could be a portrait project, like what we're going to talk about today. But whatever the job is, when you walk on, on like, I'm, I'm, I'll give an analogy. When I walk into a photo pit for a concert, there are certain things that immediately go through my head to set me up for that day. When you walk on a job site, what are some of the first things that go through your mind on any given job site? Uh, space. What space have I got? Is that, 
because uh, I tend to work, you know, I, I very, very rarely am I in a studio where you've got the luxury of space. So I am always kind of um, wondering where where can I be doing the shoot for a start off because I don't need a lot of space. That's one thing. Again, things have changed with me over the recent times that the, my actual footprint when I'm on a job has got a lot smaller. And in fact, tonight, before we started talking, I've been packing my bag ready for a job, not for tomorrow, but for Thursday, when I've literally got everything I need in one um, kind of bag that's about as high as my chest and about yay wide. Uh, I've got everything I need in there apart from my camera. So um, I would say the location, I need space, but also what props have I got? Because I love using the props that are there um some of the locations i photograph in like the one i'm photographing on thursday we're actually in um it's actually the raf club in mayfair in london and i know they've got some amazing furniture so we're going to make use of some of that furniture there because it will which, be which beautiful. makes it more environmental yeah yeah uh from a portrait point of view you mentioned that you've got the big bag ready to go which is interesting because to me nowadays photography is slightly different in that we do still have those those tangible physical things that we need for a job. And we all have the ones that we prefer, right? Mm. But there's also the digital side of it. What app or apps could you not live without? Uh, when you say apps, are you, are you talking like for desktop work and stuff uh, like let, that? Let's go. Are there any apps mobile on your phone that you use? Um, do you know, I, I very rarely will dive into, I mean, I've got the, the Lightroom app. Uh, Lightroom Mobile, but I don't use it for editing. I'm not a mobile phone picture editor. That's just not my thing. And I know right, there are right, some right. incredible people out there that take pictures that make me like, wow, I wish I could take that with my camera, let alone my phone. Um, but I'm not somebody who does that. So I probably more than anything would dive into Snapseed just very quickly. But I don't tend to do a lot with my phone editing, I would say. What about what about desktop apps? Desktop apps, uh, now it depends really. On my laptop, I've got Capture One. Uh, I use Capture One for tethering because I just find it is incredibly stable and incredibly fast. Um, but I, that's probably all I do with it. Uh, I always have that with me when I'm on location for the actual tethering side of things. But when I come back, get the pictures into the main computer, that's when I dive into Lightroom uh, and Photoshop for the okay. photography side of it. There are other apps I use for the other things that I do, but if we're talking photography, which is, I guess, why we're here, um, those are the two, sort of Lightroom and Photoshop. But I don't do that much in Lightroom. There are people out there that use that just exclusively. There's things in Lightroom people, that yeah. I wouldn't dream of doing. I'm, Photoshop is my happy place because I was kind of brought up on it. So, Okay. So I want to get into today's shot, but before we do, I want to kind of set it up. So this is part of your 39 to 45 portraits project, and it's 3945portraits.com. People, you need to go look at this. When I first started seeing these shots, there was there was almost a chill that came over me because, and I, I tweeted at the time when I first started realizing about this project, because there are stats, for example, from the, the US veterans and all of the world, every country has their own stats of how many World War II veterans we're losing daily. It's mm. hundreds that we're losing daily. Yeah. And you know, how many are still around? And so documenting. World War II veterans is just, wow. Just, I mean, man, just good on you. So Thank you. with that in mind, I want to bring up today's shot. And this gentleman, what's his name? Harry Billinge, MBE, it's, Harry Billinge, MBE. Which I was just going to say, member of the British Empire. That's it. 
Yeah. So he's received the MBE award from the queen, which is something that is, you know, given to somebody uh, by the royal family. And this shot really, honestly, we were looking at a bunch of different ones, Mm. but this shot really sums up the project for a number of different reasons. So for those of you that are on the audio feed, and again, let me remind you, you can go to behindtheshot.tv right now to see this picture. You can also watch the video version of the podcast in your podcast app or on YouTube, Behind the Shot on YouTube, uh, to see this picture. Website is behindtheshot.tv. But I'm going to try and describe it to you. And those people that watch or listen to this show all the time know I'm not really good at it. But I'm going <laughs> to give it a shot. So I want you to picture it's it's very, very traditional portrait in the sense of there's a backdrop, there's a person in front of it that's having a picture taken. But it's the skill level with which this portrait is snapped that rises it to the next level to me. It's a World War II veteran. He's got a skimmer on and he is smiling and looking as happy as can be. His smile is infectious with the way that he's looking dead down the barrel of the lens is amazing. Now contrast that with the age and the life and the the experiences that you can see in his hands. I mean, you can see it. He's an older gentleman, right? You can tell he's an older gentleman. He's got a uniform jacket on. He's got all his medals on. He's got the skimmer. He's got a wooden cane. And when I say medals, by the way, (laughs) I mean a lot of medals on this guy. It's just absolutely amazing. But that, that juxtaposition of the life experience in his hands and the cane and the way he's standing mixed with this amazingly happy face. And on top of that, post-production that's respective of, that that respects this gentleman, right? Dude, just, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. So let's go here. First of all, there's always people who want the technical side of things, sure. not so much that they're going to try and recreate it. But for those people that are new and just starting, I have people argue this with me. You shouldn't share this stuff. People need to figure it out on their own. You know what? If you're learning and you don't even know where to start, you got to take a, a baseline yeah. and run with it. So what's the what's the exposure and camera and lens on this? All right. Well, I'll, I'll read it out. I mean, like we said there, that what uh, camera and lens is shot with the A7R2. Uh, this one, this particular shot is taken with the 55mm, that prime lens we mentioned. And regards to settings, uh, pretty much the same if you go through the portfolio to keep a consistency with how they look. I'm always shooting um, at F8, around about F8 to F11 to ensure, because sometimes these guys are or guys and ladies are either stood up or sat down. So I tend to find that F8, F11, certainly with that lens, will enable them to be sharp from, you know, from the very, very front. If they sat down, we're talking like their knees to way beyond their ears because it's really important to me for the whole of that particular shot is is nice and sharp. So F8 to F11. I always like to shoot on a tripod. Um, that is massively important when I'm doing my photography, not just because of the, uh, you know, enables me to shoot really steady and keep make sure everything's sharp. There's much more to it and the bigger reason why I use a tripod. But I'll shoot at 125th of a second. Um, and the what, ISO. What, what, do you, I apologize interrupting you, but... But you just, what made you choose when you're on a tripod? You could do 60th. You like 125th. What's your reasoning for that? I like 125th because 
I've I've found even with a 60th and the fact that I am using a flash I know we're going to freeze motion but I have had it in the past when there's been movement I don't I don't want to have any risk at all of there being any movement because these these pictures more so than any other kind of portraits that I do it is incredibly important that I nail it and right. if I come away from photographing a gentleman like I am in a few days time who's 103 years of age and if I Harry miss is 103 is 103 on Monday um, this coming Monday. Now, if I, if I, for whatever reason, don't nail that shot because it's slightly off, because there has been a little bit of movement or whatever, I may never get that chance to do that again. Right. But I know at 1 125th, that is going to be sharp. So with that in mind, I'll always use that shutter speed if I can. For me to bring a little bit of ambient into the shot, because sometimes you'll find, because there's always a, you know, the light is positioned in such a way that it's going to give me a Rembrandt kind of lighting. On the opposite side of the actual frame, where there could be no light, certainly in the bottom left-hand corner, I do not mm -hmm. want that to be completely dark. So that's now when I kind of embrace technology and I will bring up the ISO until I start to see a little bit of ambient light coming into that bottom area that ordinarily would be pitch black. Which is darker and shadowed, but has detail in it. So, so are you saying that, that even in this series, each individual shot is going to be 1 125th, it's going to be f8 to f11, very 55 millimeter, 1.8. But it's the ISO that you literally change on the spot. Yeah. And of course, with the Sony, you've got a, a EVF so that you can see your exposure. Absolutely, you're yeah, changing so your ISO each each time. Absolutely, and my you know my flash loves me for it because it can just recycle so much quicker. It's not so much drain on it. But I mean, this picture here that we've got that we're talking about today, it's Harry Billings. That was an ISO there of about 400. But there are ones that within my portfolio. Only the ones where you're talking of three-quarter length, not the headshot ones, but I've gone up to like a 1,000 ISO and pushed it just a little bit more. You would never know. And when oh, On that Sony body, you'd that, never, ever know. Exactly. So, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing that, you know, embracing technology. You know, I used to shoot manual flash. I use TTL now. I love it. It's absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm embracing it, whereas before I would avoid it. Right, right. So let me ask you this, because I'm looking now, knowing that you're on a tripod with this, it looks as though your tripod height mm -hmm. is probably just below his chin. Okay. Almost about yeah. where his tie is. Is that does that sound about right? I would say so. Yeah, it's it's roughly aimed towards kind of like you know, sort of middle of the chest, I would say. Something like that is where I'm looking to kind of get it go. Is level to the lens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What when you're doing portraits, I'm not a portrait photographer. Definitely not on a tripod, right? I'll run and gun band portraits or something. But <laughs> yeah. I'm not a portrait photographer. What what is what is your deciding factor for how high you put your tripod? That that has come from I guess doing a lot of it in the fact that I know that if I go slightly higher than that, I tend to find that it it kind of brings down the size of the person unnaturally. It makes them look smaller than they are, and obviously if I go lower than the chest line, I tend to find it makes them bigger. And going lower than the chest line is something that I would have done quite a while ago when I was more into photographing the physiques because of my bodybuilding background. So you'd always photograph a bit higher to give that impression of, you know, making the Morse kind of superhero kind of look. But what I want to capture here is something completely natural. And my own preference and what I found from doing a lot of this now is that if I get that lens when I'm doing this particular kind of shot, the three-quarter or standing, if it's coming at the chest, it gives me a natural perspective, natural proportions, and that's what I want. Okay, so this this particular shot that we're talking about today, 
there's two two questions I, I have to know, and that is this series that you're doing, the 39 to 45 World War II Portraits Project, mm-hmm. is portraits similar to this, slight variances in each one based on the subject matter, three quarters of hedge. How are you finding these guys? How are you connecting with them? That is a good question, Steve. That's, and and that- I asked that. Let me let me let me back that up a little bit. I asked that because I think personal projects are 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 so good for most photographers, but a lot of them are like I don't even know where to start. Right. So yeah. you decide to do this project. How are you finding hundred three year old Harry? All right, and, and like I said, it is a very very good question, and that's that's you're not the first to ask it. Um. So with this, I, well, I, I knew I was desperate to do it. I knew I wanted to photograph these veterans because I wanted to do a personal project. And as, as kind of corny as it may sound, it's because it, it felt like something that I had to do. Uh, it just felt like the right thing to do. So, yeah, where do you find them? So as luck would have it, I kind of thought, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's see if something good can come out of Facebook. So I found a group on Facebook. I just happened to stumble across a group called the Normandy Veterans Family and Friends. It's a UK-based guy that set it up. He's become a very good friend of mine now called Andrew Wright. And all I did was I kind of went onto their page. I joined it. They Thankfully, they accepted me, even though I didn't have a veteran family or mem- you know, right. member or whatever you and I literally wrote a piece on there to explain to them what I wanted to do. And kind of knowing that they're bound to have had people contacting them before wanting to have photos. So I just let I put my heart on my sleeve and said, look, this is something that I feel I, I have to do. Um, please understand that my intentions are entirely honorable. And what I would like to do is this, this, and this. And I explained it. And then thankfully, uh, two ladies who have got fathers who are veterans uh, contacted me and kind of, I guess they kind of thought, well, let's just, let's check this guy out. Let's see if he is who he says he is. And let's if he is somebody who's, yeah, let's give him the shot. So, uh, we arranged to do a photo shoot. One of the ladies came along with me, got a lady called Jane Barkway Harney. Uh, her father was one of the gentlemen that landed the gliders at Pegasus bridge in the early hours of the day. So just, you know, incredible history in her family. And she came along with me to photograph a living glider pilot from the, you know, from the glider pilot regiment World War II. And she came along to sort of say, I'll come give you some support and I'll introduce you to Laurie Weed and whatever. She was there checking me out. How, how do I, am I respectful? Um, you know, how do I treat people and what have you? And thankfully she kind of, I think she was kind of thought, yeah. He's, Against he's all, all right. odds, you were a nice he's guy. All right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and also, you know, so that, that was one thing that I needed to overcome. Do they trust me? Do, you know, I need, it was important to me that if I say I'm going to do something, I've got to do it. Because as time's gone on, Steve, I've met veterans who have made, been made all kinds of promises that they'll receive a picture, there'll be an exhibition, blah, 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 blah. And they never have. And I never want to be that person right. that is spoken to you know, by somebody else about, you know, oh, this guy, Glenn, didn't, he didn't do that. So it's been important that I follow through. But as it happens, you know, veterans' families, no veterans' families. And kind of like the smoke signals went up. And before you know it, it kind of just, people started contacting me and it just got busier and busier. Now, thankfully, you know, we had the exhibition that happened. Uh, the first exhibition started in October of last year. Uh, and we had the BBC TV coverage. Uh, and when that went out across the news channels on the television, then literally the floodgates opened and it was, it's got busy. It's got really busy, which is fantastic because that means there's a lot of veterans still out there. 
Um, and that's that's how it is. But I guess it, to, to to summarize it, how did I get in contact with them? Gaining trust, well, and, and sticking to my word. I, I've got to say, and it's from the first moment I saw this and shared it, and I mentioned those stats of how many were losing. You are doing something, sir, that is so special. And again, when you talk about these photos, the respect that comes through, and, and you know what, that's actually a really key point. The respect that comes through the way these photographs were done of the subjects is just freaking awesome. It's just amazing. So when you walk into an environment like this, what kind of environment was this that this was taken in? This, uh, they're, they're always, uh, pretty much all of them are taken in the veterans' home because I want to make this as easy and as hassle-free for them as possible. So this was taken in, in Harry's home where he lives down in Cornwall, which is even further south than I'm going to be moving to. Beautiful place. Um, but it was, I've got to say, it was a challenging location, probably the most challenging location I photographed in uh, because of the way that his his front room, his living room within his house was kind of made up with all the furniture uh, and the ceiling, although it wasn't necessarily low, there were kind of areas within the ceiling that came down to produce arcs, which was really restrictive as to where I could put the modifier. So I, this, I remember this picture now. I was literally sitting on his window ledge, fire, shooting back into his house across the back of his sofa, his, his big two-seater sofa. I couldn't have done a full standing shot because I couldn't see his feet. It was literally going across the top of his sofa. And to the left-hand side there, you've got a friend of mine who's holding the reflector just out of sight. It was so incredibly tight. But that's what I love about this, Steve. You wouldn't know that. I love that. No. No, you'd think that this was on a, a in a giant studio and that you could have done a seamless if you wanted to. Mm. One of the things I mentioned at the beginning about this shot that just strikes me is that that combination of just joy in his face and yet stories that mm. are in his hands. Do you coach him on the posing or anything like that? No, I, I don't. I really don't. I want to capture. I want to capture them. Um, the only thing I would suggest that I probably do to an allow me to get them is that when I first go into the house and I, if it's the first time I've met them, which you know most of the times it's going to be, I never take any camera kit in the house with me at all. That stays well in the car. I'm going to come in and I want to get them to know me. And it's almost like the photography side of it becomes a secondary reason for me being there. So we'll have a cup of tea, we'll have a cake, and we just get chatting. And eventually I'll go, tell you what, let's get that picture done, then we'll carry this on. Um, so then once he's, he's comfortable with me, it's, it's You've just broken simple. down those walls and yeah, the, the comfort it's, and trust, there's a absolutely trust factor. The trust has come through. He realizes that, you know, I'm not there. I, I like to think that when I'm there, they get the feeling that I'm there because I want to give him a picture. I'm not there because I'm thinking, right, what have I got to get from this? Because don't get me wrong, Steve. I mean, if I if I could say, right, in an ideal photo shoot, if I'm talking now about these veterans, I would love to come away with a standing shot or a seated, depending on how mobile they are on their legs, um, a nice close-up shot, and possibly an interview. And I, I go there with that thinking that would be the ultimate. But when I go in there and that within that first 30 seconds of getting to know them, I will know, right, don't go for the close-up. Don't go for the interview. That can come another time if need be. It's got to be a real case-by-case -case basis. And that, again, is just coming from that understanding and trust and, and respect. 
you know, because ultimately all I want, I want to give them the picture. I want them to go away thinking, what a nice guy. And I've got my picture. And I'm really happy. That That's what the goal is. It is a privilege for me to be with them. Um, it, it really is. And, you know, I'm kind of, people say, have you ever photographed anybody famous or any celebrities? Yeah. Every time I go and photograph a veteran. Yeah. Harry is a yeah. celebrity. Absolutely, and he's an yeah. MBE. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned with, with the room size and the ceiling height and the curves, you mentioned lighting. So what mm -hmm. was the lighting and modifier setup that was used here? Okay, so uh, for the lighting with this here, I'm I'm using speed lights. So I've got just the, just the one speed light, and I use a Godox speed light. I think I think it's a six eight five S. I think it is. You know, just a four AA battery speed light, and that goes into uh, I use the Westcott kit. So this is a large octa um, a rapid. Box, so is this like the like the fifty inch octa? uh 100 centimeters so what's that in inches yeah i think 50 the large one they got the medium the large right. well, i use the large the one, one you can could... stand in front of absolutely yeah, yeah 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 um so yeah i'll use that i use that pitch that one on this one here although it was literally touching the top of the ceiling and crushing down a little bit um but that and yeah that's what i'll do i'll i'll speed light octa job done so nice the speed and light and octa are obviously the key light on the right yep Based on the room, they're not way above him. They're almost probably, it looks like, even with his face to the center of the octa, maybe. I would say probably if you think of the size of it, the very the bottom part of that octa would be level with his, uh, probably level with his shoulder, if not if not just a touch more. So probably level with his shoulder, I would say. And so then it's traditional. Over. It's pointed down. Yeah. And not too far to the right, but a probably 20. Now, now, you said there's a reflector on the left? Yeah, I've got a friend of mine called Danny Greeno who's holding a, a reflector over on the left-hand side just to get a little bit of light onto his trousers because obviously we had a dark patch on the bottom left. He's also got dark trousers on. And even though I'm bringing that ISO up, I still want to be able to kind of do it in camera with a reflector just to bounce a little bit of information back onto those trousers. So he had a reflector on there as well. And that probably got side of his face too, I'm guessing. Uh, I, no, I doubt it. I don't think it did because it was literally, he was holding it right in front of his Way down. Okay, uh, okay. damn low by his knees, yeah. Silver, gold, white? That was silver. Yeah, we had the silver side on there. Okay. And if somebody, well, actually kind of answered that, so never mind. Let me, let me go to this then. Compositionally. Mm -hmm. I mentioned at the beginning when I was describing this shot that it's a very traditional portrait where you have a backdrop and you have a subject that's centered from a composition point of view. But I think what really strikes me, there, there's two things that really strike me about these portraits. One is your choice of backdrop. Mm -hmm. Your choice of backdrop really, really fits the subject of, you know, military veterans and just the feel and the texture that you get out of it. What made you, because you could have gone gray, you could have gone more texture. You could have gone a pattern. What was your mind thinking as you chose this backdrop, which is consistent, it looks like, throughout the series? Yeah, the backdrop is generally the same one that I'm using now. And a bit of a plug here, that's actually my branded backdrop. That's the Glyndewis Vintage Grey from Westcott. <laughs> uh, but that there, the actual look of that, um, 
I, I want the people to focus straight onto the person. I don't want them to be distracted, but I do want a bit of a smoky, low contrast kind of feel to the background. And the idea for that one there, Steve, came from me before I even started this project, researching photos going back to the 30s and 40s. I spent a long time, and still do actually, looking at all those old classic portraits that still look amazing today, and they will do in another 10, 20, 30 They're years. They're timeless. And that's, that timeless, exactly. And that's the kind of look that I wanted with this. I've seen people being photographed before when it's very contrasty and there's a lot more detail in that background. That, for me, just didn't fit with the feeling that I wanted to come from this. I want. I didn't want to have just a simple tone going across. There needed to be a slight variance, which this one has got, but it needed to reflect the, the gentleness, the softness of the people that I'm photographing. And if it wouldn't have worked if I'd have used anything other, but it was a grey background. That that is a grey, um, but obviously the colorizing that I do once I'm in post production has added that Which kind of look to it there. Which is my next topic, oh, actually, right, okay. yeah, because that that actually is kind of what really ties all this together. And and let me for those of you listening on audio, let me let me just touch the backdrop part one more time. It's cloudy. It's there's this patchy cloudy effect to it that is just magic on these shots because the subject the subject ties into it mm. but they stand out from it there's there's this there's this amazing gel between the subject and the backdrop while at the same time completely standing out from from that backdrop and again I did not know this these are your backdrops so give the name of the backdrop and where people can find it yeah i mean i you know i do do a lot of work with uh, westcott and i i kind of use their stuff before they picked up on me to be honest with you this so you know uh, it wasn't motivated by any other means. But um, yeah, this background here, originally, that was a texture that I photographed. Um, it was just a simple kind of uh, a, a floor, actually, a gray kind of floor, marbled floor that I then put into Photoshop and played around. And I used to add that as a file onto my pictures before when I used to photograph people behind, in front of a gray piece of paper. I'd add that texture to it. And I remember I was out in um ohio i was at westcott's base and walking around the the warehouse there and brandon who's you know one of the bosses there kind of said oh yeah and of course we print our own backgrounds and i was like whoa well hold on a second what do you mean you print your own backgrounds yeah we, we print our background says well i've got a background texture that i use a lot could that be printed he said absolutely and they printed it onto this incredibly light canvas kind of look background which is like fantastic so now i don't have to do that part of the processing i can photograph them with it um, and that now is my my go to. So let, let's go the into Glyn the process. Jewish vintage gray canvas. Vintage gray canvas from Westcott. Westcott. Okay, let's get that out there because people, you got to see this. It's <laughs> you'll, you'll understand what I mean when you see it. The post processing on this. Mm -hmm. I love the processing and the treatment that is done to these. This whole series of of shots, the thirty nine to forty five portrait series. When. When you are working on an image like this, what would you have done to it? Uh, okay, so if I take you quickly through the process then. So they're brought into Lightroom. All I will do in Lightroom is, is again, check the white balance. If I remember to get them to hold a gray card, then gray. Otherwise, it's a gray background. It'll click on that, and that'll give me a rough guide. A uh, little bit of sharpening, bit of lens correction, and then whack straight over into Photoshop, which is my happy place. And then when I'm in Photoshop, I will do uh, a little bit of frequency separation because if need be, I might need to take a little bit of shine off parts of the face that I don't want to be on, like a bit of a nose shine or forehead or whatever, so I can reduce that using 
frequency separation. I'll Which is really eyes. where frequency separation for people oh, like us shines. If you don't know frequency separation, seriously look it up. It, oh, it oh, seems yeah. hard at first, and yeah, it's not. it's amazing. Um, but the, the main look for these pictures, Steve, comes from um, colorizing. Now, obviously, there's so many different ways that you can colorize images in, in Photoshop, but I am a huge lover of lookup tables. So I've, I use lookup table, 3D lookup table adjustments within Photoshop. I've also made um, a lookup tables that I use in this one. Um, and it was interesting. Is this, all Lutz, is this all LUTs from you or are there is, other people's LUTs in here? No, they're all, all the all mine. These ones are they're actually no, there's three that three that come by default with Photoshop, and then there's two of them that I've created, and one of them is called 1940s. Would you believe I called it that? Uh, <laughs> um, so that's that's how the colorizing kind of things is done. But it was really interesting and good actually that you said how you feel that the the, the subject seems to come forward off the actual background, and that is part of the retouching in that. When you see it printed, you do feel like it. They're coming off the page. So what I do is, and this is something that I started to do because I'm, I was very aware going back to my retouching days that as photographers, when we look at a picture, we are naturally drawn to the, the brightest, the sharpest, and the most contrasty areas. They're the bits, those kind of things make a picture come forward. So what I started to do with my pictures here was on the face only, when it comes to the final part of the retouching, I will add a small amount of unsharp mask contrast to the face, and I'll paint it in just onto the face. So let's say an amount of 20 and a radius of 20 onto the face. Once I've done that, I'll then- That's a lot a, though, isn't it? it is, an amount it is, of yeah, 20? But you, exactly. And then I'll create another layer, and I will do exactly the same thing again, but at 10 for the amount and 10 for the radius. And I will use a layer mask, a black layer mask to hide that effect, but I get a white brush and I will just dab on each eye, down the nose and across the mouth. That's all I'll do. And then that is almost, if you could kind of put that picture on its side and look across it, it would almost give it like a, a mountain range almost where it's coming coming forward in different levels of contrast, start to bring it forward and forward and forward. And that's what it does to the face, especially when you're looking at the, not necessarily this picture of Harry, but if you look at his close-up headshot, my, it really does come forward. And that's because of the different layers of contrast in different parts of the face. I just think it works, you know, it just works for this. I love that. Great idea. Well, I, I just got to tell you, this this series of shots, this shot in particular, because this shot really with the cane, and again, I'm struck by his 103 and the stuff this man has seen. Oh, Harry's, I think Harry's 95. The guy I'm seeing on Monday's 103. Oh, but- uh, Monday's 93. Okay. So yeah, Harry's 95. Yeah. Still, he's 95. Uh, the yeah, stuff this guy yeah. has seen, right? <laughs> um, and yet that, that infectious smile and those hands. Mm. And the metals and the coloring, so much of it comes together. When you when you look at a person personal project like this, what have you learned that you didn't know going in? What have you learned about this project as as a whole, right? And personal projects in general, what what have those taught you that maybe other people could benefit from doing stuff like this? Wow. Um Wow, where do I start? This is so much. I mean, of course, I've learned more about what happened during that period of time. That that's a that's kind of like a, a given there. But more than anything, it has made me realise that 
photography is nothing about it's not at all about the photographer it really is about the subject that you're photographing and how to be adaptable to the person that you're photographing you know you treat everybody on a case-by-case basis how to be respectful and how to slow down you know i mean just just little simple little things like keeping your voice calm how that can change the the whole feel of the picture and the the end result that you get there's little things that i'll do as well like you know i mentioned earlier on about the fact that i do use a tripod that isn't primarily to ensure that i do get a sharp shot by any means it's not that is not the ultimate reason the ultimate reason is that i can keep my head above the camera at no point do i ever put my face behind that camera you're using a remote trigger no 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 i, I will put my hand on to sort of you know press the shutter there but you know, I've developed a conversation with this person from the moment of going to that house. It's nice and calm and relaxed. As I'm setting up, I'm continuing that conversation. So at no point do they start thinking, oh, we're going to get my picture taken, starting to get stressed out and nervous. I'll just carry on talking, asking questions and supping them a tea. And, and then when I've got that camera on there, I can just kind of keep on talking, keep on talking. And I've got my hand on the shutter. And rather than going, okay, Harry, I'm going to take your picture now. I've got my shutter there. I go talking, talking, talking. I go, hold on, hold on a second. Hold that, Harry. Boom. Anyway, so what you're saying about, you know what I mean? So right. it's kind of like the, that photography becomes, yeah, we're doing it, but it's not the main reason we're here. We're it's here really talk, part of the we? conversation. Absolutely. So it's kind of, uh, I've, I have learned so much about photographing people um, that I could never have learned from a book or from going to a class. Being, you know, By being in so many different houses, it's learned, I've learned how to adapt to the environment. Do you know what I mean? So you know, I told you what my go-to equipment is. But there's been instances when I couldn't use that softbox. So I've had to use a smaller softbox because of, I'm in a really small space, like the galley of a kitchen. But just understanding the fact that even if I use a smaller softbox but have to have it in close, I'm going to get the same beautiful light as if I'd had a bigger softbox further back. Just understanding that so that you can keep that calmness, that conversation going, and you can be like the duck on the water. Nice and calm above, underneath, you might be panicking a little bit. But the fact that you've done this so many times, you don't panic because you know, not a problem. I can deal with this. And I, I like the challenge. That's one of the reasons I, I'm, I just, even before he became a friend, I was a huge fan of Joe McNally's because I just love the fact that Joe is so open about how he works through problems. And I love that. His presentation at Photoshop World this past August in Vegas, just when it was over, it was like, no, no, yeah. please keep yeah. going because it's a yeah. joy. So let let's switch gears real quick before we close your work i said it at the beginning i'll say it again your work is simply amazing thank you but what other photographer would you say that people need to to look at and and follow um i I do have my favorite photographers i've got a number of them um Annie Leibovitz is my number one I love I love what she does Mark Seliger I love what he does um Yusuf Karsh who's obviously sadly no longer with us but if you type in Yusuf Karsh onto Google and look at his images you'll know them you will go oh my lord he did that one just incredible incredible photography beautiful work but when it comes to modern day photographers it's going to be people that I know because not necessarily their work which it goes without saying his beautiful work, but it's because of their work ethic. Um, and it is people like Joe, uh, Joe McNally, Joel Grimes, uh, people, people like Alan, you know, mutual friend, Alan Hess. These are, they're the good people that are out there. 
Do you know what I mean? There are. I know some exactly. Really I, I don't know good, two of those three, but I do know yeah. Alan. And just good, genuine, honest people who are out there doing what they're doing for the right reasons. Right. And uh, because those good people, humans. you know, good, good humans. What more can I say? And they, they are the way they are is how I aspire to be. And if anybody ever looked at me in the way that I look at them, I would feel like my work here is done. That would just feel that'd be wonderful. And many of those greats have been on your show, He Shoots, He Draws, your podcast. Mm -hmm. I was actually just on a podcast with Alan Hess, Focus on Photography with Aunt Pruitt and and, uh, Michael Woolsey. Um, Alan's been on my show as well. And Alan's been on your show, He Shoots, He Draws, twice. So if people want to find you, I've been putting lower thirds up the whole time. So if you're watching on YouTube or if you're watching the video podcast feed, you'll see the lower thirds pop up. But for those on the audio feed, what is your website? Uh, my main website is uh, it's just my name, Um, and f- which is actually changing at this very moment to get a new site coming out. But yeah, glyndewis.com is what the URL is. Uh, the project, as you've mentioned, is 3945portraits.com. So called because people think is it because there's 3,945 portraits. It's not. It's the years, 39 to 45 of World yep. War Two. World um, War II. Yeah, I just keep everything simple, just Glyndewis. The same across the social media. All your social media are Glenn Dewis, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. But yeah. I do want to say, because Dave Dave Clayton and I, your partner on He Shoots, He Draws, <laughs> uh, we were talking about the fact that the first time I sent him an email and I typed your name, he goes, I just need to ask you because we've had the debate, is it the spell checker that's doing it because it's not Glenn, it's Glenn. I'm yeah. like, no, I typed Glenn. It corrected it. <laughs> And so just to let everybody know, it's Glynn, not Glenn for those in the, in the States. It's G-L-Y-N. Do hey, Steve, I'll, I'll take Glenn any day. The iPhone changes it to Glum, G-L-U-M. Oh, interesting. So I'll take Glenn over Glum any day. But if people are looking <laughs> you up, G-L-Y-N-D-E-W-I-S.com or just Glenn Dewis on any social medias. I so appreciate meeting you today. I so appreciate you coming on this show and sharing what I consider to be one of the coolest projects out in a long time in photography. You're you're doing amazing stuff. Thank you, Steve. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm gutted we didn't get to chat when you recorded with Dave, but uh, it's been, I'm chuffed a bit you've invited me on here. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. And being on your show was, and again, for people, if you want to look that one up, again, the other ones are probably better, but it's episode number 93. So Glenn Dewis, Thank you so much for being on Behind the Shot. To everybody, a quick reminder for you, you can find the blog post associated with this episode at BehindTheShot.tv. In that blog post, I've got some stuff written about Glenn. I've got a, a small gallery of his work. All of his links are there as well. And the YouTube video is embedded in that webpage, so you can watch it there too if you want. Or you can subscribe either to the audio-only version or the video version of Behind the Shot wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we are also on YouTube. Also, a quick reminder, if you want to participate in the critique shows I'm doing with Don Komarechka, you can join the Flickr group behind the shot, submit your images to that group and tag them BTS critique, all one word. It's not a hashtag. Flickr has their own tagging system. So use the Flickr tag BTS critique. That puts it in the pool that Don and I are choosing from for the critique shows that we're doing once a month here on Behind the Shot. Those are only on the YouTube channel, though, so that you know, because we're talking about a whole bunch of photos. It literally makes no sense in an audio-only version. So with that in mind, I'm Steve Brazel. I really appreciate your stopping by. If you ever have any questions, 
You can reach out to me on social media. You can hit me up on my website. Uh, I'm Steve Brazel pretty much everywhere except Facebook because I really am not there that often. Uh, but Twitter, I love Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Steve Brazel. It's like the country Brazil, but it's two L's. Other than that, as always, Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers like Glenn Dewis to better understand why they make the choices that they do. We'll see you on the next show. 